Matt Stepp, if we were to create a Texas high school football super league, which teams would you add to it? And be very careful because you can make a lot of enemies here. Oh, we're adding Everman to it. Everman Bulldogs all the way. And we can't be relegated either, no matter what. Tap and step. Your premium Texas high school football podcast from your friends, your amigos, your spring buddies here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football and TexasFootball.com. I am the Tep Greg Tepper. And I'm the Step, Matt Step. Fresh off of his Orioles taking two of three from my beloved Rangers. That's right. Should should have won, should have swept them, but you know, he couldn't score any runs yesterday. But you know, hey, we'll take two out of three. Dude, let me tell you something. This Rangers team, they stink. Well, the Orioles, are, the Orioles stink too. So it was a, it was, it was actually uh, between two bad teams, competitive baseball this weekend. Yeah, which maybe they should just play each other into perpetuity. The season um, would be a lot more fun for both of us, probably. This is your April off-season edition of Tep and Step. We thank you for being a Dave Campbell's Texas Football Insider. We love you very much. Uh, coming up at the back half of the program, we are going to uh, discuss the uh, the Friday night rule, the uh, the broadcasting of Friday night Texas high school football games. That is something that's being bandied about. Step will get us up to speed on what's happening behind the scenes, and then we'll just kind of kick it around and talk about what we like about it, what we don't like about it, whether or not it should be lifted permanently, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, for that, we'll get to some coaching changes from across the state. But Matthew, we will start as we always do with your Texas high school football fun fact of the week. And for this one, I did a lot of research because I, uh, I think you heard on Texas football today. I went through courtesy of the great Texas high school football history.com. Um, I went through and I compiled a database of every coach who has ever coached a UIL 11 man, Texas high school football game. All 13,000 of them, 13,466 of them. You are a numbers guy. Got all their records. You were digging into some numbers for sure. Digging into some numbers is right. And so Matt Stepp, my question for you, what is the most common win total in Texas high school football coaching history? What is the most common number of wins that – Texas high school football coaches have in their career. Because I'll tell you, for example, uh, there is only one guy who has 480 wins. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. There, I'll, there I'll is cross also, 480 off my list then. Yeah. There is also, by the way, only one guy who has 201 wins. And remarkably, there's also only one guy who has 199. Okay. Um, so it's got to be a most, small number. It's got to be a most, smaller number. I will tell you that the top 10 are literally some sort of order of the of the first 10 first 11 numerals of the uh of of, of counting yeah i mean it's got to be num- i'm i'm gonna say because a lot of guys you know that they get two years and they i'm gonna say six six mm-hmm. is actually one two three four 
four, five, six, seven, eighth. It is the eighth most common win okay. percent or win win total. Uh, four hundred and eighty two coaches have six career wins. I'll give you one other guess. Mm, eight. Eight is actually uh, they are one spot behind them. They are they are they are ninth or whatever it is on that list. Four hundred thirteen ah. coaches have uh, not eight wins. No, no, Matthew. The answer is one. <laughs> Seven hundred and thirty-three Texas high school football coaches have one career win uh, on their history. That beats out number two, two, number three, three. Number four, four, and number five, five. But coming at number six is zero. 557 yeah. coaches have coached a game but never won one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that um, for sure. Yeah. Yes. If you are interested, I mentioned this on Text Football today, but it, it remains my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, stat of doing this. Uh, Frank Flack is probably the greatest Texas high school football coach of all time. Uh, in 1922, he coached Menard to a nine and two season and never coached again. Oh, I'm sorry. Going nine and oh season, baby. Nine and oh season. And was like, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, yeah, there are a grand total of, let me look at this. 48 coaches who never lost a game. 48 coaches. Although, do you know who has the highest, uh, winning percentage among active Texas high school football coaches, regardless of number of games coached? <sighs> Um, it's Gary Joseph, isn't it? Uh, that is, he is at the top, but that's if you set a minimum of like 50 games. I'm talking oh, okay. any number of games. Oh, um, oh. Can be somebody who went like 11 and one or 12 and one last year that I can't think of right now. I, I, I'm drawing a blank, but it's gotta be somebody who, who, who was, it was their first year last year and they went like 11 and one or 12 and one, something like that. How about this? It's actually a guy who's coached two seasons. Oh, wow. Okay. And that is Daniel Boddicker at Shiner. Ah. He's 26-1 and one for a 963 winning percentage. Edging that's, out. That's pretty G- solid. Edging out Jerry Crowder, who is a 958 winning percentage, who went 11-0-1 uh, in his illustrious Texas high school coaching career. So there you go. There it is. Your Texas high school football fun fact of the week. Okay, Matthew, um, a lot to get to here in the, uh, this uh, episode of Tep and Step, your premium high school football podcast. We'll start with the coaching changes. And I guess we should probably start where we started last time and close the loop on Allen. Um, I think that's the one that everybody has been talking about. Uh, of course, this is, this is, you know, we're recording this on April 19th. It's been news for two weeks now, but uh, the new head coach at Allen is Chad Morris, uh, who will be taking over. Uh, he got hired as head coach on, on March 31st. Uh, I know you had your finger on the pulse of this thing, and you are kind of tracking the ebbs and flows of the process. Uh, obviously, I know there's things you can't say, but can you give us an idea of how this process went for Allen? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway here is Chad Morris was one of the guys that, that Allen had targeted early in, in the search. In fact, you know, I, I mean, I'll, we're in the premium podcast. I, I texted Chad Morris, I think the day after the resi- the, the retirement announcement of Terry Gamble and told him, Hey, 
I got a pretty strong feeling that Alan is going to be texting you. And mm-hmm. sure enough, it wasn't very long after that that he was hearing from Alan. So, you know, I, I you know, obviously he wasn't the only guy that Alan targeted early on in their search, but I think he was one of their top three or four guys. And I, I think for Chad Morris, he had to, you know, make sure. I think the biggest thing Chad Morris had to figure out was, you know, obviously he's 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 got a buyout that he's still, you know, getting paid from from Arkansas. And I, I think he just had to make sure, you know, with with his representation that that him taking the Allen job wasn't going to jeopardize the buyout. I know there was a clause where whatever, and it's a very common in these buyout situations where whatever money you make from your new job. Um, that difference is offset from the buyout. But I think the biggest thing was he didn't want to jeopardize the, the buyout. Cause who wouldn't, I mean, it's that's seven figures of a buyout. I definitely wouldn't want to jeopardize that. So um, I, I think that was the, the biggest thing is just making sure that all that was worked out. And I, I think um, Chad Morris is, a, <clears throat> is the kind of splash hire and the kind of name that a program, like you would expect a program like Allen to, to land. And I think it just kind of shows where Chad Morris at, is at right now in his coaching journey. Obviously, having been in the college game, he, you know he's been out of the high school game for a while, um, and obviously, you know things didn't go great at Arkansas. They went terribly at Arkansas. Let's just put that mm-hmm. out there, and, and the Arkansas Razorback fans on social media will definitely let you know their feelings about God, Chad Morris. They will, Mike. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, and you know, honestly, when he went to Auburn this year, you know he was jumping on a sinking ship. I mean, that was you know, unless Auburn rattled off and you know a. Maybe they they would they would have been able to stand losing to Alabama and that kind of thing. But other than that, I mean, that was a sinking ship. So I think that was just a one year kind of just you know placeholder thing. And I think you look at Chad Morris and his career. You know, his son obviously transferring to TCU uh, made a difference, and I think he wanted to be in a place where um, he could be close enough to go watch his son play at TCU. Um, you know, he's head football coach only. He doesn't have athletic director responsibilities. Now that being said being the head football coach of the Allen Eagles with the number of sheer numbers of players they have in their program um, is almost like an athletic, uh, athletic director job in its own regard. So um, that's a, but I mean, but at Chad Morris is, you know, he's been kind of a CEO coach before, and I think um, he'll do well um, in that role. I think the biggest thing at Allen is just, you know, they've had some attrition this year with some, you know, they've had a bunch of kids that have left the program this off season. Um, they were you know, on paper, they were going to be a little down next year. Um, so I think the, the managing the expectations is going to be really interesting because, you know, what if, what if Allen goes 11 and two this year, is that good enough? You know, I mean, is that good enough for the Allen Eagle fan base at this moment? And that's where you really start to get into it. Whereas is the expectation at Allen so high that they're unrealistic for anyone to come in there and meet unless you're winning a state championship every year. I think well, and- I mean, that's the big, big thing to watch out for. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I think is really remarkable about this. I mean, for, first and foremost, and, and I hope it, this goes without saying, um, Chad Morris is a really good coach. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know there are Arkansas fans and Auburn fans who will disagree with that notion. Um, he's a really good football coach. Like, yes. maybe, his, maybe his we can have a conversation. Right, we can have it, a conversation as to whether or not he got overpromoted. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. that's the, the situation. Like, we can have a conversation about that. But the Absolutely. bottom line is, this is one of the most successful Texas high school football coaches ever hard stop. And so he's a really good coach. One thing I think is remarkable, and I'm very interested in seeing how this shakes out at Allen. This is the first time, because if go back to when they uh, hired Tom Westerberg. When they hired Tom Westerberg, Tom Westerberg was a, was a good coach. 
I mean, that he was known as a good coach, but Allen wasn't Allen yet. Uh, in many mm-hmm. respects, Tom Westerberg helped to lay the foundation of what would become the behemoth uh, and, and that, that the program of record, so to speak. Yeah, because when Joe when Joe Martin was at Allen and, and yeah. even Todd Graham, who's now the head you know yeah. Division One head coach, that, Allen was a good team. Yes, but they weren't they weren't an elite team. You know that that's no. where that's where and then that's Westerberg really took Allen to the next level. I'll go even further than that. They weren't the brand that they are now. Do you know what no. I mean? They were not the brand. Um, so then they the, so then they go and they hire Terry Gamble, and 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 I think everybody when they hired Terry Gamble. All us nerds, all the Texas high school football nerds go, that's a really good hire. Like mm-hmm. Terry Campbell was exceptional at the Hewitt Midway. Uh, he was a, he's a really, really good football coach. That's a great hire. But that's not a splashy hire. You know what I mean? That was a that was a the kind of hire that you and I are going to text about and be like, man, that's a great hire for Allen. But that's not the one that's going to get people talking. Do you know what I mean? That's with all due respect to Coach Gamble, just the truth of the matter. Yeah, absolutely. This was the first time in Allen's existence as it as it is today the brand Allen that they had to make a hire like this and now you are seeing that it's not just getting a really good football coach which they did you've also got to get a splashy name you've also mm-hmm. got to get a name that's going to appease the fan base that's going to make people talk about oh man Allen to keep up the idea of the brand that if they there are a bunch of really really good football coaches out there that if they would have hired uh, if they were to hire that coach I would have been I would have been like man that's a super good I'll just I'll throw a name out there I don't even know if his name was in the mix but uh, Marcus Shavers at McKinney Marcus mm-hmm. Shavers is an, is an Allen alum. He's an Allen guy. If they had, I think he's a really talented football coach. If they had hired Marcus Shavers, I would have been like, man, Allen, that's a great hire. But Absolutely. nobody, but nobody outside of us, the nerds, would have said that. Well, none of us would have paid attention to it. And so mm-hmm. now, what I think is going to be very interesting is that this is the first time they've had to make a hire like this, and this is also the first time that if the non-football um, politicking rigmarole that comes around being the head coach at Allen gets to be too much. I mean, Chad, Chad Morris doesn't need this job. Mm -mm. He doesn't need the money. He does. No, he doesn't need the money. Yeah. He's, he's sitting on a, I think the buyout's $8 million. I mean, he's, he's going to be fine, you know? And so, and, and Chad Morris can go get a college job pretty quickly. Other than the Arkansas debacle, he was successful as the offensive coordinator at Tulsa at Clemson. Yep. He was a successful head coach at SMU before getting before landing the Arkansas job. So he can go back to the college game if if he wants. So um, that will be the interesting thing is that the Allen job is just too much of a of a hassle to deal with. I mean, you're right. He could just up and leave pretty quick, and it wouldn't be an issue for him. Not saying that he would do that. Um, I don't. I don't get that Chad Morris is that kind of guy, but it's it's in the realm of possibility for sure. I like to think of Chad Morris as former Eustace coach, Chad Morris. Um, That's right. The great Dale just, Pope. Just like I like to think of Phil Danaher as, as former Hampshire Finette coach, yeah. former Dilly coach, Phil Danaher. And um, coach Morris is putting together his, uh, his staff as well. He hired a uh, South Lake Carroll. That's a great way to uh, go. Yeah. He, he hired South Lake Carroll, um, their offensive coordinator, whose name escapes me right now. And then just today, he makes a big splash hire with his defensive coordinator, naming uh, San Antonio Brandeis defensive co- uh, head coach David Branscombe as his defensive coordinator. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's 37 and 10 in four seasons as a head coach there in San Antonio Brandeis. Uh, 
as your defensive coordinator. He's he's putting together quite the staff already there at Allen as a spring ball is getting ready to ramp up. And and but I'm glad you mentioned that. That's where I wanted to go with with David Branscombe leaving San Antonio Brandeis. Am I correct in saying that that will be a pretty highly coveted job down there in San Antonio? From uh, you know you know the ins and outs better than I do, but it seems to me that that's going to be a job that 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 folks down there in the San Antonio area are, are going to be clamoring for. Yeah, it's a that's a good job in Northside ISD. It's, this is a program that's been in the regional finals uh, in 2018, 2019. Uh, the only questions with Brand, they've got good kids. I've talked to a couple of head coaches down there that said, you know, the the, the talent's still in the pipeline. They're still going to be good at the lower levels. The only two questions that really I look at with Brandeis are going to be how how does a head coach deal with working in a large school district like the Northside Independent School District, which has right now, I believe. Uh, 11 high schools with high school number 12 uh, in Sotomayor High School opening up next year. So now you're looking at um, a 12th high school being added. So you have to deal with the red tape of working in a large school district like that. Um, and then you also have to deal with Sotomayor High School, I believe, is going to be cutting in some to Brandeis's attendance zone, which mm-hmm. will naturally um, dilute um, some of the talent that is already there at Brandeis. So those are two things to keep an eye on. It's still one of the, uh, I'd say, top five jobs uh, in the San Antonio area for sure. Uh, let's go to Austin and talk about Austin Del Valley. Uh, for two different reasons. Uh, a lot to talk about here. Uh, the first and foremost is um, th- we're going to talk about their new head coach that they made. I mean, talk about a splashy hire. Um, Del Valley has hired Bobby Acosta as their new head coach. And 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 Texas high school football fans may be like, who? Uh, Bobby Acosta is most recently the coach at IMG Academy over in Florida um, coming over. And they are the... Um, what do you call them? mythical national champions? Is that what? The, yeah, the, the whatever. Yeah, is? the USA Today or whatever. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, you know, uh, now he was only the coach there for a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, did good things. I always find it hard to judge um, how good a coach mm-hmm. is at a place like IMG Academy because the talent there is it's ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's absurd. It's a, it's fundamentally like a prospect factory. Yeah. Um, they're going to have better talent than anyone they play every time they step yeah. on the field. It's just, that's just kind of the nature of the beast there. Whereas at Del Valley, you know, he's kind of going to have to deal work with what he's got. Uh, so to speak yeah. there at Del Valley, he's not going to be able to, to be like a college program and recruit talent in mm-hmm. at least legally uh, into the program. So, um, but coach Acosta, I believe most of his experience is, is in the college game and, and mostly in the North Midwest and the Northeastern part of the United States from what I remember. Um, that's of course interesting. The other thing, and we don't talk a ton about um, coordinators and because guys, if we were to track all the coordinator changes and all the assistant changes yeah. in the, in the off season, um, if you think Step is crazy now, he would be certifi- certifiably insane. There's just exactly. a lot of, of, of movement. Um, but one of note is that former Del Valley head coach Charles Burton is going to join the staff at Lake Travis. Um, that is, of course, notable because uh, Charles Burton has a, has a son you may have heard of. Um, he is going to in, – in, uh, in uh, Caleb Burton – who is now going to transfer to uh, to Lake Travis? Uh, the Ohio State com- uh, commit is uh, a five star, according to twenty four seven. I think he's a four star right now on TexasFootball.com. Uh, but uh, yeah, Hank Carter going and 
getting a nice coach for his uh, staff. And uh, oh yeah, by the way, his son can play too. Yeah, exactly. That's a you know yeah the the, the coach with a kid hire is always a, a, that's an elite move in the in the Texas high school coaching ranks. I mean, and it's legal. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a legal thing to do. I mean, Coach Burton obviously has a. You know he's a head he's got head coaching experience he's well thought of in the Austin area so um, it's it's a good hire there for for Coach Carter and yeah he, he, the, the bonuses you have you get his son for a year so uh, that's a that's a that's a nice little cherry on top there for sure staying in six A um, let's talk about what's going on in the mid cities of DFW uh, with Arlington ISD suddenly. Like the 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 perfect example of stability year in and year out. Suddenly, we're going to have two coaching changes in Arlington ISD. Mm-hmm. Uh, Laban Delay is leaving Arlington Lamar to become the new head coach at South Grand Prairie. And you were telling me a little bit about this. This process got a little sticky. Yeah, um, from what I understand, you know, and. and- Talking to firsthand sources on this deal, South Grand Prairie offered their job to another head coach earlier the week before, um, hmm. and th- that coach was from South Texas, and, and from all accounts, he was their guy um, in, in in the original process. But um, you know, from what I understand, South you know, Grand Prairie ISD did not want to uh, make any kind of multi-year commitment to said coach, and so he decided that uh, it was best, you know, because of the. You know, he's going into a situation where he's very comfortable in his place in South South Texas. You're going to a place in South Grand Prairie where it's a very competitive 6A landscape, and the expectation is to win right away. And if you don't have a multi-year commitment, um, that, that could be daunting. And so I think he felt like it just wasn't the right move for him. So he uh, backed out of this deal. And I think Coach DeLay it was always in the mix um, just with his ties to South Grand Prairie, having been um, an assistant there before he went to Lamar for that first head coaching job. So um, I think it was the right time for Coach DeLay to move over to South Grand Prairie. Um, his daughter graduates high school this year, so he's probably in a little more of a, of a position to move at this point. Um, and, you know, Lamar, for the next couple of years, the talent's probably going to be a little bit down. So um, the talent pool overall, the enrollment the, are, are, is bigger at South Grand Prairie, and the, the facilities are very similar. They've got an indoor facility on campus there at SGP. Um, so they'll be able to uh, get a lot of the things they need to get done done. The interesting thing is he's moving within the district. You know, you, you Lamar and South Grand Prairie are in the same district right now. Because yeah. remember, uh, in UIL realignment last year, Arlington ISD and Grand Prairie ISD were aligned together for the first time since the 1970s. Um, so right now they're in the same district. So that'll be uh, when South Grand Prairie and Lamar tee it up against each other. That'll be uh, a very interesting ball game for sure. Um, let's let's go southeast. And talk about one, uh, I think, a move that I think is not uh, getting a ton of uh, uh, publicity, probably because it's not an OC getting there. But uh, but let's remember that just a couple of years ago, uh, Beaumont Westbrook was in a title game. Um, Eric Peavy leaves Beaumont Westbrook to go to Little Cypress, Mauriceville. Um, was this job open for a while? Uh, Westbrook was open open for about a, about six weeks, I believe it was okay. open. It yeah, was open for a little, little while. Get a little um, stale, but they have made their hire. They're bringing in um, Westbrook along and Port Arthur Memorial offensive line coach Chuck Langston to be their new head coach. And um, I'll tell you, if you're going to hire an offensive line coach as be your head coach uh, to be your head coach, you can do a whole lot worse than hiring the Port Arthur Memorial offensive line coach. 
yeah, this is a guy in Chuck Langston who's got a lot of experience at the college level. I mean, he's been, you know, he, he's worked at, you know, Navarro, Trinity Valley Community College, Lamar, and North Texas, um, mm-hmm. in addition to his his high school uh, stints. So this is a guy who, who has a lot of experience um, coaching at a very high level. And, um, you know, he, he inherits a Westbrook program that's never short on talent. And Coach Peavy told me when he left Westbrook that, you know, this freshman group that they have coming in at Westbrook is probably the mo- one of the more talented groups they've had. Probably more talent. He said more talented than the, than the classes that he had on those uh, state runner up team. Yeah, it's 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 going to be very interesting to see what they do there. Staying in Southeast Texas for a minute, go to the Houston area. Uh, Clear Springs uh, has made a hire. Clear Springs uh, is going to be um, is going to be coached by uh, Anthony Renfro, who's leaving Laporte to take over at Clear Springs. Uh, Craig Daly, of course, left for his alma mater at Seguin. Um, and so they go and they call uh, a guy he's who has Clear Springs ties mm-hmm. um, in Anthony Renfro, uh, but he is leaving Laporte uh, to go be the new head coach of the Chargers. Yeah, Renfro was the was an assistant coach at Clear Springs uh, before getting the Laporte job, and he's been at Laporte um, the last two years and done, done, a, done a good job there at Laporte. And so his familiarity with the Clear Springs program probably played into that. And Clear Springs has been very successful. I mean, them and Dickinson have been the two teams to beat there in 24-6A. And we expect uh, more of the same this year. And so uh, I don't expect much of a drop-off from Clear Springs. I got, I got to see Clear Springs last year. They were a very good ball club. And I expect them to be a very good team uh, again this year under new head coach Anthony Renfro. It is uh, it is internal promotion season as well. Um, Klein Oak, we, I think on the last podcast we talked about Klein Oak. Uh, Jason Glenn uh, getting uh, moving over to Klein ISD athlete, uh, administration. They have promoted offensive coordinator Brandon Carpenter to be their head coach. Um, elsewhere, other ones worth mentioning. Um, they are one of the ones that I think came down today is Foray. Let's go to Bridgeport. This was a job. I heard a lot of coaches talking about um, a lot of coaches in on this Bridgeport job. Um, they have made their hire and they are uh, bringing in uh, Sherman head coach, JD Martinez to move from Sherman to Bridgeport. Uh, so a all new battle of the ax there this year, mm-hmm. as far as coaching is concerned, but B a really nice hire for Bridgeport. But again, I had heard an un, an unnatural number of coaches uh, asking about this Bridgeport job. Yeah, I, I think um, Bridgeport, with being a head football coach, athletic director combined position, uh, they're mm-hmm. relatively close location to the Metroplex, but far enough out. I think, uh, you know, kind of be out in the country and kind of have a, you have a lake right there. So there's a lot to do um, in and around Bridgeport. So I think that um, played into the attractiveness of the job. And Coach Martinez did, had done a good job at Sherman. Um, he he has some ties to the superintendent. The superintendent is an ex-coach. They coached together at Keller Fossil Ridge and L.D. Bell. And so usually when you see these kind of hires, there's always a connection somewhere. And so that connection with Coach Martinez and the superintendent there in Bridgeport ISD uh, obviously played a factor in the hire. And Coach Martinez gets a little closer to home. He's a native of Granbury. His family, mm-hmm. Most of his family still in the, is in the Granbury area. So being in Bridgeport uh, puts him a lot closer to home as well. Uh, speaking of internal promotions, Buffalo promotes their offensive coordinator, Evan Stone, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Um, George nice West. Nice hire for is, Taylor, naming Brandon Houston. That's a really nice hire for yeah, Taylor. Yeah, I don't talk, know if we talked about that last time, but yeah, yeah that's really. Man, cool. You talk about Coach Houston, and you know we're we're we we like we're 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 a little biased here. We we like Coach Houston quite a bit, but the job that he did at Buffalo in those yes. three seasons, 
going 12 and one in his first year and 12 and two in his third year. I mean, that's a Buffalo program that's never been past the, the third round of the playoffs. I think they've been to the third round of the playoffs once in school history. He took him to the third round in his first year and then took him to the fourth round in his third year. So fantastic job there. He's got a big rebuild at Taylor, but if there's anybody that can get it done at Taylor, I think it's Coach yeah. Houston. Brandon Houston was the coach at Buffalo for three seasons. Um, he now has half of their 10 win seasons in school history. Yeah. Um, that's, that's saying something. He was, he, he did a tremendous job. And yeah, the folks in Taylor, I don't know if we'd mentioned that in the last podcast, but that's, I believe he's yeah, 32. A, I believe he was 32 and six in three years at Buffalo. That's that is pretty quite solid. good. Quite yeah. good. Um, elsewhere, uh, George West is open. Uh, Brent Cornegie is, um, is, is retiring. He was, uh, he, I mean, he was a, a Texas high school football lifer. I'll say that much. Um, mm-hmm. Orange Grove, Yoakum, George West. That's Jess as a head coach. He was on a lot of staffs before then and stuff like that. But George West, you know, one of those squads in South Texas in Region 4, um, in 3A Division 2, I think in part because 3A Division 2, Region 4 is, um, I don't know if the, there's that big bad wolf there, but mm-hmm. George West always in the mix. Uh, that's a, that's a decent job for somebody out there. Yeah, they usually have a good size, and that, that's that, that's at a premium down there in Region Four. So um, I think it's a good good gig. They, they went twelve and one just a couple of years ago. So uh, that that'll be interesting. I've heard a couple of interesting mm-hmm. gig. I've heard a couple of names thrown around uh, with the George West job already. So it'll be interesting to see um, if that causes a little bit of a South Texas domino effect with guys mo- moving and shaking uh, down there here in late April. Cause we're starting to get pretty late in the coaching, yeah. uh, coaching search ranks. But when you look at the number of jobs that are still open, there's still quite a bit of movement uh, that, that can go down. I mean, just looking as of today in the UIL 11 man ranks, um, we're well over 20 jobs that are still open. In fact, we're at 26 jobs still mm. vacant as of now. And so you got to imagine that out of those 26 jobs, there are going to be some hires that are made from other head coaches, which will cause even more of those late dominoes to fall, which we kind of look for. Um, we, especially with us in magazine season, trying to make sure we get all the coach, coaches right in the magazine. We're always hypersensitive to those late coaching moves yes. for sure. Um, I don't know if I, I'm pretty sure because this wasn't open very long that we didn't mention on the last podcast, I should probably keep track of what we actually talked about. Um, but Iowa park, um, Aubrey Sims, uh, is taking over at Weatherford, which great get for them. That was another job that was, that was that I had heard a lot about, um, there at, 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 at Weatherford and Aubrey Sims is the guy that they, they grabbed there. Um, of course he was very successful there at Iowa park. Uh, they move very quickly and promote their defensive coordinator, Michael Swenson to, uh, uh to, to head coach. Um, yeah, less than I 10 get, days that job was open. That wasn't that they didn't, have, they didn't have to post it for 10 days. That was just a quick, quick internal promotion there with the success they've had at Iowa park. I think that's, that yeah, makes a lot of sense. That also makes me whenever they, whenever they do something like that and they promote the, they promote from within after that, that, I, that makes me think that coach Sims might've been calling him to come with them or, and I don't, I don't know that for a fact, I'm just speculating here or that he was in the hunt for his own head coaching jobs. Um, whenever they move that quickly, that's the first thing that I think of is, okay, why did you move that quickly? Obviously, Coach Swenson doing a pretty darn good job there. So, uh, again, filed that under ain't broke, so don't fix. Um, let's talk about the hire. This was maybe maybe of the of the, the, the hires, all the hires this offseason. And this is maybe uh, – this is saying something. Let's talk about what Gerald did. Um, guys – 
I mean this in a very nice way. Gerald's not a very good program, or at least has not historically been a very good program. And all they do is they go pluck Marty Murr from San Augustine to be their new head coach, who was, of course, supremely successful at San Augustine. Last year was a little bit disappointing for them, but uh, this one came across your Twitter, and I'll be honest, I thought you had made some sort of mistake, but uh, but a really nice gift for Gerald. Yes, very good hire for Gerald. You know, Gerald is a program that has really struggled as this the town, kind of right there on the outskirts of Austin, has grown. Mm-hmm. Um, their talent has not. Their talent pool has just not been able to keep up with the growth. Um, they, I mean, they were a three. I can remember they were a three A Division two school in the not so yeah. distant past. And they're in four A Division two now, so they've jumped two divisions uh, in recent years, and they just they haven't been able to keep up. Uh, from a competitive standpoint. So I think bringing in a guy with the success that Marty Murr has had down there in East and Southeast Texas um, gives them some hope that maybe he can get things turned around. Um, but it's, it's a full rebuild of Gerald. This is, this yeah. is a program that has really had their share of struggles, but you know, he did a heck of a job there at San Augustine. Um, it's going to be interesting to see just how, if what he saw in the Gerald job. This was a move from a, from a personal standpoint, if you wanted to get into Gerald for personal reasons and family reasons, or if he sees something in the pipeline at the lower mm-hmm. levels that gives him the hope that Gerald can get things turned around and on the right path. That was one of the more surprising hires, I thought, of, of, of the entire offseason. And now let's talk – oh, man. Let's talk about Paul Pewitt and the Paul Pewitt extended universe, extended cinematic universe. Yeah, uh, yeah. So let's first start with their old their, their, their old head coach, the coach who took them to a title game in 2018, 2019. 2019, Yeah. 2019. That's Tristan Abron. Tristan Abron's on the move again. Of course, he took them to a title game in 2019, moves to take the job at Mejia, uh, and he is now uh, leaving that job at Mejia to go take over at Pittsburgh um, as Brad Baca is is leaving Pittsburgh. Um, and yeah, so Tristan Abron on the move again. Did it just not work out at, at Mejia? I think it, you know, I I don't think it worked out. I just don't think the the slot T offense was fully embraced by the community there mm-hmm. in Mahia. And then I think Coach Abram had some personal things in, in his personal life. I don't want to get into his personal life sure. too much, um, but his he he had some health. His parents had some health issues, and I think um, getting you know he he's from Sulphur Springs. His family lives in Sulphur Springs, so I think getting closer to Sulphur Springs. Uh, which Pittsburgh is not that far from Sulphur Springs. Getting closer to that that part of the state uh, was important for him and his personal family situation. So I, I think those all those things kind of played into it, as they often do when coaches make moves that kind of scratch your head a little bit. Um, so in this case, I think it was more of just a combination of things with just not working out of Mahia, them not embracing the system, and, and some family things that he he wanted to get taken care of on, on, on his end uh, there. Um, so yeah, that, that, you know, Mahia is an attractive job. Now, now they're going to be down next year. You know, they had a really, really good senior class that, you know, remember Mahia won the district title this year, was in the second round of the playoffs and had to forfeit their area round of the playoff game because they had a, um, I believe a, a kid have COVID. I don't think he got COVID, but I think there was COVID protocols that they canceled. They forfeited the game. So, um, they lose a lot of those seniors from that class. So Mejia, it's still an attractive job, but but it's going to be a little bit of a rebuild for the next couple of years. Um, and so you have that situation with Coach Abram and Mejia in Pittsburgh. And then there's his old job in, in Paul Pewitt, no, no, Mahal. 
And they will now be looking for their fourth coach in five seasons and their fifth coach in eight seasons. Um, as Richard Strickland has resigned after one year. This is coming down today. Uh, yes. Here's, uh, April 19th for recording this. Uh, it's not like he did a bad job. It took him uh, eight and four regional semifinals, uh, a team that we were awfully impressed with this year. Uh, but Paul Pewitt is open again. And fourth head coach in five years. I mean, and, 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 and it's unbelievable. Like that's just really, I like it. It's, it, it, it boggles the mind. Um, yeah. You know, Paul Pewitt is, it's starting to get a little bit of that Sonora type reputation where they're mm-hmm. just hard on coaches. Yeah. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, I don't think Coach Strickland did a bad job, especially considering, you remember early in the year, Paul Pewitt had to cancel, I yes. believe, two games right right off the bat because of a COVID outbreak in the, in the community there. They had to cancel their first two games. And Strickland didn't get hired um, until, I believe, April of last year. And then and obviously because of COVID, he didn't get to meet his kids until June. So he was already kind of working from from a bad spot right away. And for him to turn things around and get Paul Pewitt to the third round of the playoffs, I thought was a heck of a coaching job. But for whatever reason, uh, he got crossways with the wrong people in the community. And it sounds like they just mutually decided it was best for both parties to part ways. Um, elsewhere around the stage, we do a little bit of cleanup to make sure I don't, don't overlook some things that I want to talk about. Um, I guess this was after the podcast we did, but uh, Odessa hired Desi Ortiz. Uh, it's now like a month old now, but that's what happens when we do a monthly podcast. Uh, the T- Timber Creek defensive coordinator. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll get us every week during the season. Yeah, exactly. Berkner hired Trey, Bry- uh, Trey Bryant, who is a Berkner alum, the former Baylor Bear, um, mm-hmm. to be their new head coach. Uh, Again, also, it's promotion season, and file this under Ambrook, don't fix it. Corpus Christi Veterans <laughs> Memorial uh, promoted ben, uh, Benjamin Bittner, uh, their mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, to uh, to take over for Cody Semper after Coach Semper left for Cy Woods. Uh, Sherilyn, you remember there was a bit of a – Sherilyn ISD had a bit of a – I don't want to say a, a, a cleaning out process, but they had a couple of jobs open, let's put it that way. There was just a lot of movement in Sherryland ISD with the nobody got nobody lost a job. It was just that they had a lot of movement in the athletic department, and that opened up a couple of jobs. Yeah, so Richard Thompson, who was a longtime athletic director there in Sherryland ISD, retired, um, and so they had an athletic director opening. So they decided to basically promote both of the current head football coaches into the athletic department roles. So I believe uh, Ron Adame, who was the Sherryland head coach, was promoted to district athletic director, and Tom Lee, who was the pioneer head coach, was promoted to assistant athletic director opening up those two jobs uh, inside of Sherryland ISD and, and very little surprise there with the success those two teams have had in recent years. Those were internal promotions with uh, Sherryland naming uh, the defensive coordinator, Craig Krell, uh, to be their head coach and uh, pioneer with that uh, potent offense they had last year promoting uh, Eddie Galindo uh, to the head coaching position after he, Coach Galindo served as the uh, offensive coordinator last year. Uh, finally, one more thing. And uh, before we move on to our next topic, uh, but um, I was getting, uh, I've, I've one of uh, one of my coaching uh, buddies was telling me uh, to keep an eye on Blue Ridge. Blue Ridge uh, made a hire. Uh, Mark Chester resigned after a couple of seasons there uh, to go take over as a defense coordinator and assistant AD at Gregory Portland. Not a bad all gig. Is there? Yeah. Not a not a bad gig if you can get it. Uh, they have hired Blue Ridge has made a 
I would say an interesting hire in this part of the world, kind of that north, just south of Texoma, just north of DFW, kind of no man's it's weird, land. It's it's a weird spot. I, I went to a game in Blue, I actually from a slight flex here. I went to a game in Blue Ridge last year. It's it's you, kind of out. Of course, <laughs> you did. <laughs> it's kind of out. It's it's if you are heading north on seventy five through McKinney, you get to Melissa and you cut. To the east there, Melissa, and it's kind of on a back road there on Highway 78. It's uh, They're going to get a lot of growth in the next 10 years because Melissa is going to kind of grow into Blue Ridge. Yeah. Right now, it's still a little bit out of the way. It's kind of in that – yeah, you're right. It's, I think the Texoma TV stations do cover Blue Ridge though. So. Okay. Um, well, they've made a hire. They are hiring Tim Wiley. If you don't know the name Tim Wiley, he's probably one of the most um, – I don't want to say – I mean let's put it this way, a, a rather influential – uh, assistant. He was Gunner's offensive coordinator uh, the past couple of years, and now he's going to get the big job there at Blue Ridge. Um, do we know? Do we know if he's bringing the pistol option uh, offense to, to Blue Ridge? I've not talked to Coach Wiley, but it would not surprise me if he did because that offense uh, worked quite well uh, for Gunter when they installed yeah. it. Let's look at Blue Ridge's questionnaire and see what Coach Wiley puts as the. He just put, he just listed the very generic multiple offense on multiple his offense. That is come on, that Coach is the, Wiley. That is coaches. First of all, let me stop, coaches. If you got your Texas high school or Texas football questionnaire in, thank you very much. We appreciate it. You are the lifeblood of our magazine. We couldn't do it without you. That said, the most give up answer on the questionnaire mm-hmm. is for both. We asked for the offensive formation and the defensive formation. And coaches, some coaches will be like super specific. Uh, like uh, we were talking with the um, Kelly Lee at Brownsville yeah, Vets. Yeah. Kelly Lee at Brownsville Vets, who, who said that their offense is going to be called the ground strike, which is Love it. it's, it's just a branding term for like the, the, the veer, basically, the option. Um, and so, and, but then a lot of other coaches will just be like, uh, we wrote a lot of stuff, multiple. Uh, yeah. Come so on coach. I'm going to have to stop sitting on the fence. Go. Stop sitting Thank on the fence. Know. So anyway, there's a look at the coaching changes. You can find all the coaching changes at texasfootball.com. Okay. Let's move on to our other topic. Um, we were going to do another, we were going to do our way too early sleepers, uh, but we're going to save that for May. So there's we'll a, save uh, that for May. Give me more time because we'll, we'll, we'll have the magazine start. Ed- we'll start editing the magazine by the end and we'll be able to oh, yeah. really pick out some good sleepers. A horizontal tease there, uh, yeah. for a month from now, but, um, <laughs> but we're now, playing the long game here. I like, how, game. I, I like the idea of somebody who's like, well, I wasn't going to listen to Tep and stuff, but then they said they were going to do this segment in a month. So I guess I'll just keep listening. Yeah. Um, but just repeat will, the episode over and over again. We will start. Well, let's talk a little bit about. Uh, I think one of the um, one of the very unique wrinkles of 2020 uh, was the UIL's decision to uh, a one year suspension of the uh, Friday, the quote unquote, the Friday night rule. Which, for those who don't mm-hmm. know, uh, is the rule that you cannot do a live video broadcast of a Friday night Texas high school football game. Thursday night, great. Saturday night, great. Friday night, soccer, awesome. Go for it. But you cannot do Friday night Texas high school football games live. They suspended it for one year because of the um, the limited capacity of the crowds. Uh, and the idea is, okay, this will hopefully encourage some people to stay home and watch it. You know, we want to give people an opportunity to still watch it. Um, Step, can you give me a rundown of where we stand right now as far as 
the status of this rule going forward uh, and and what uh, what the, the the status really is of the Friday night rule. So should we put out a positioning statement first of all that oh. we are somewhat invested in this because of our oh, yeah. uh, in, 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 because of our affiliation with Texan Live. I guess that's probably true. So yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody Let's put out yelled at me. statement. Somebody yelled at me about that. They were like, "Oh, you should have put the disclaimer on there." So here's the disclaimer. Um, Dave Campbell's Texas Football owns Texan Live, which is a streaming platform that streams uh, high school football uh contests or high school contests including high school football contests so theoretically uh we stand to benefit from uh the ability for games to be broadcast on friday nights uh if you think that that colors our opinion then i, I i'm sorry for you um but you know i don't let's put it this way my check my paycheck is not dependent on whether or not exactly. like that that happens. So, and I'll um, say this: I, I am a proponent personally of keeping the Friday night rule intact, regardless of our affiliations. Mm. I think there is a, a certain level of sanctity of the Friday night broadcast and, rule and going to the stadium on Friday night and watching the game. So, dude, like, shut up, you're gonna, dude! You're going to ruin this trash trial of ours. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, Bert, I think that's fair. Brockers like. Texting yeah. me now, mad at He's me. Like, what are you doing, dude? Um, yeah. I, I, I'm on, I'm on the other side of it. I, I think that uh, the more, the more uh, people can watch Texas high school football games, uh, the better, the better for the growth of the sport, the better for the, you know, to, to grow the fan base, get people interested in it. Um, that is my position. But I also, I also, um, I see your point, and I think that you're exactly right. That like there has to be some sort of protection for the crowd on Friday night, because I think that that is one of the things that makes a sport so special. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I see your point. I I would, I would say that I would rather there be, I I don't necessarily think that there's a huge impact of it. Um, I think it's just more going to be guy in Odessa wants to watch Gunner. And so he, he watches the game on, uh, any sort of streaming service. That's how I view it. But mm-hmm. I also think that there are reasonable arguments on both sides. This is not one of those things where it's like, oh, you're dumb. Like, exactly. yo, you think, you know, you know I, I think there's reasonable arguments on both sides. So, and I, I, I quite enjoyed the flexibility and being, you know, I was gone for a couple of weeks during the season this year and I was still able uh, at, at, you know, to watch games uh, on television on Friday night and, and be able to still quote unquote cover a game and at least be connected to what was going on uh, through the live broadcast. And, and it's worth, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's worth mentioning that when we say I should clarify the Friday night rule applies only to regular season games. Correct. Um, the the playoffs are already available. There's a there's a certain process you go through in order to broadcast a Friday night uh, a Friday night uh, play or any playoff game. Um, but at that point in the in the playoffs, you can broadcast Friday night uh, uh, high school football games during the regular season. You cannot. So what we're talking about Correct. is the ability to broadcast some week two game between Millsap and Henrietta. Is what we're talking Correct. About. So, so there's a lot up in the air at the moment. As, as the UIL continues to try to work with um, the state of Texas and, and, and the school districts, you know, the UIL is kind of caught in the middle of this a little bit because you have the school districts wanting one thing and the state wanting another thing. Obviously, we're all aware that the state of Texas is, is quote unquote 100% open. Um, 
but that that hundred percent open is left up to individual locality decision making. So each school district still today, April nineteenth, still has their own you know interpretations of how many people they're letting into stadiums um, and those kind of things. And talking to my sources off the record. They believe that even in the fall, there is a strong possibility that there are going to be certain school districts that will not allow 100% capacity uh, in their mm-hmm. high school football stadiums in the fall. They're hoping that's not the case, but they're they're pre- trying to prepare for that very real possibility that we could see, you know, and I'm just going to throw out a random school. I'll just say uh, at, at Everman, for example, they may only be at 75% capacity, but at Coppell, they may be at 100% capacity. So how does the UIL and the schools try to navigate those waters uh, with the Friday night rule. Um, so that that's one thing that I think they're trying to keep in mind. And then you have the other other aspect of there really there's got to be a vote on this from the legislative council, mm-hmm. um, which typically takes place in June. But if you remember last year when the pandemic first started, the UIL gave Dr. Charles Bright up, the executive director of the UIL, basically he got emergency powers to kind of unilaterally unilaterally make some decisions without the approval uh, of the legislative council. So I'm, I'm assuming they're going to have to go back and kind of vote on if that should be extended for Dr. Bright or if they should go back to the way it was prior to the pandemic when the legislative council took a vote and, the, and they hashed through those things. So, so from, from a management standpoint and, a, and a, just an administrative standpoint, the UIL still has a few things to work out regarding that and their and, protocols. And let me, let me issue one other thing here is that I think there may be some people who are thinking, well, of course, you know, Dr. Dr. Charles Bright, up the executive director of the UIL, he got these emergency powers. Why would he ever want to give them up? If you know Coach or Dr. Bright, Coach Bright, up, well, no, he is Coach Bright. Up, uh, he is a, a state <laughs> championship coach as well. State champion, go go Cougars. Um, if you if you know Coach uh, Dr. Bright, up, um, he is he is he is not. How do I put this? He is not some like dictator wannabe. No, <laughs> you know I mean? I, he's not a guy who wants to like rule with an iron fist and what no. I say goes. He's a guy who is very much. I want to see what everybody. I want to come to a. Mm-hmm. He's a consensus builder. Is yes. what he is. And so I think that he, when he was given these emergency powers in the off season, he took them. Not reluctantly, but because he was like, okay, I need, we need to do these right now. But he's not a guy in my, in my estimation and in my conversations with Dr. Brown, he's not a guy who's like going to hold on to these powers come hell or high water because he wants to reshape the UIL in his way. I think he probably wants to get back to the legislative process whenever it's prudent to do so. I think so as well. And that's, that's kind of the tea leaves that I've gotten is that, that we, we could see something come down late in May or maybe probably after the state track meet. Cause we, the UIL, obviously there, there is, this is a very busy time for the UIL, a lot of state championships going on right now. I think you have a lull there between the state track meet and the uh, baseball state tournament, baseball, softball state tournament. I think that you'll see a lot of wheels turning there. Uh, I know that there has been a, a superintendent survey that's either in the process of being sent out or has already been sent out. And I know the THSCA did an informal survey at their regional meetings to kind of get the temperature of the coaches. And if they wanted to keep the Friday night rule in place, or if they were okay with uh, relaxing the Friday night rule and what, what, at least from talking to co- uh, some of my sources and some coaches um, it's the tenor seems to be at the larger school level. The coaches are, are a lot more willing to, 
waive the Friday night rule and, and kind of let that go. Whereas you see a lot less as you move down the classification ladder, which makes sense because as you move down the classification ladder, you've got those more small towns. The Friday night experience is very important, those kinds of things. So, um, that puts the UIL in an even stickier situation because now you've got, you know, a half of your constituency wanting one thing, half of your constituency wanting another. If I was a guessing man and a betting man right now, what I think is going to happen in the fall of 2021 at least is that the UIL is going to treat Friday night football much like they treat the regular season broadcasts in the other sports where they will allow Friday night broadcasts with the approval of both schools. So mm-hmm. that way you pr- that way the schools will have the choice if they want to broadcast the game on Friday night or not. But if one of the schools involved is not okay with a live broadcast and they can't do the broadcast, that way those small towns and those smaller schools, their gate revenue is still protected. But the big schools who potentially based on their location generally are more likely to still be under some attendance restrictions will still have some flexibility to broadcast those games. Well, and what's interesting, and I pulled up this and I forgot we did this, but about this is from July 2020. So grain of salt, that was a different world then. Um, but I sent out a survey to Texas high school football head coaches um, asking about, and we got 515 responses, which is crazy. Um, but yeah, we got 515 responses. That's a good over 40%. Of, yeah, of, one of the yeah. questions I asked was, do you think the UIL should lift the ban on Friday night broadcast of live Friday night games? Uh, for the 2020 season. So this is for the 2020 season. And so mm-hmm. different world. But at that point, 89% of coaches said yes. Um, I think it is fair to say that number, it, that if you were to ask that same question right now, the number is not 89%. But I also have a hard time believing that it flipped, right? And that suddenly the a minority of coaches want to lift the Friday night rule. You know exactly. Yeah, I, I I think we we have a pretty close to a, a majority. You know, a, is it a strong majority? No, it may be fifty five, sixty percent, but it's a majority. Yeah, who I think and are okay with lifting the Friday night rule, and I, that's why I think we may see that that caveat as of both schools have to agree um, mm-hmm. to that to the Friday night rule being waived because then you at least give uh, the out that if if somebody is just completely against it, they ha- they have that that card that they can play to to be against it. So um, yeah. That's kind of yep. the way I see it now. It'll be interesting. I think we'll see if my if if what we've seen from the UIL these kind of announcements is usually the case. My guess guess is we may see some sort of legislative council vote in June, and then maybe a formal announcement uh, being made probably at coaching school because they yeah. like to make these those kind of announcements generally at coaching school. Boy, they do. They do like yeah. to make those announcements. And coaching school is going to be a big deal this year. I mean, they didn't have it last oh, yeah. year. And I, I know, I mean, I, I, my guess is it may be the most attended uh, coaching school they've had in, you know, ever. You know, I mean, we're talking, it'll be big. And yeah, so I know. I know. It's in San Antonio. And we love coaching school. We, we missed it last year. San Antonio Yeah, a great I'm place excited. I can just, you know, I just, boy, howdy. And especially, I don't know. I've thought about this. Let me talk about coaching school here for a moment. It's in July, if you didn't know. But it's in San Antonio. I've thought about this, and man, hide your kids, hide your wives, because the Texas high school football coaches have not been around one another in two years, and now they're all going to descend upon San Antonio. I mean, it's going to be it's, it'll, it'll it's probably going to be a lot of uh, shenanigans. It's going to be it a way. party, man, dude. It's going to be. I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, man, a lot of, a lot of, we're going to, 
we gonna park on the river and take bets on who the first coach to fall in the water is? Yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah. What we'll do is we gotta like the, the way we gotta do that is like gotta pick classification. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We gotta have like a have a draft of who wants to um uh, uh who wants to, to pick six A coaches, five A coaches, etc. Uh, but it'll be fun. I'm excited about that. I'm excited to um uh, to get back to kind of some of the normal things that we've done during the during the, the summer. You know, uh, seven on seven. Of course, we're really excited about first uh, SQTs are less than a month. May eighth SQT start May eighth. May eighth. So, so. Uh, by the time we do this podcast again, oh, we may have some SQTs to talk about. We'll have um, some qualified teams. Absolutely. Exactly right. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's it, it's exciting. Uh, it's an exciting time. We've got about six weeks before we got to put out this summer edition of the magazine. So I've got a ton of work to do. Uh, you've got a ton of work to do. Although you're almost done with your capsules, dude. Yeah, you, I, I had a lot. I mean, <laughs> me, I had so a lot. For those who don't know, I'm guessing, you know, Step does uh, DFW, Houston. Those are the two, by the way, those are the two largest uh, yeah. regions. Uh, he does DFW. He does Houston. He does the Rio Grande Valley. And he does El Paso. Uh, those are the ones that you do. And right now, according to my spreadsheet, you have a grand total of we're missing nine questionnaires from Southeast. We are missing four questionnaires from the Rio Grande Valley. We're missing one questionnaire from El Paso. I will not say who, but I'm very huh. disappointed. Uh, I thought we're missing two. Are we missing two? Yeah. We might be missing two. Or did we get There's, another one? It starts with a T. <laughs> that probably gives it away. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I have them categorized out west, but yeah. Oh, do you? Um, okay. Yeah. Anyway, uh, and then we have um, nine from the DFW, although looking at this list, at least two of them don't have coaches. Um, so yeah. that kind of – That's when I got to start bugging like superintendents and principals and stuff. Ugh. And I'm sure, I'm sure they love hearing from me. Well, that's the thing. I mean right now as we sit – uh, grand total, all UIL schools, so including six-man schools, we're missing a grand total of 72 questionnaires. 72 out of 1,250-ish? 1,238. Um, to be down to 70, it's pretty good. Not pretty bad. Pretty good. Not bad. So please get your questionnaire in. God, man, you have no idea how much I want to call out. <laughs> Like again, a, a lot, a, a, hand, a good number of these schools either don't have coaches or the coach just got hired or something like that. Like I understand that. Give but then there's also so. a couple. There's a handful that I'm looking at. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, exactly. come on, you come mm-hmm. on, help us out here. Yes. Uh, anyway, anyway. Uh, all right, that's it. That's going to do it for us. Thanks for spending a little bit of your day with us, uh, being Dave Campbell's Texas football insider. We love you very much. Please, if you like this podcast, please tell a friend to become a Dave Campbell's Texas football insider, uh, texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Uh, Step, thanks for your courage. Thanks for having me. We'll see you next month. See you next month on Tep and Step. Mm-hmm.